Welcome to the Outside the Box Income and Investing Podcast. Whether you're looking to start a business, earn passive income, invest in stocks or crypto, or just want to learn something from business owners, entrepreneurs, and investors, the Outside the Box Podcast has you covered. This podcast does not provide specific financial, legal, or medical advice to any listener. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, R. Brandon Smith. to the Outside the Box Income and Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon. Today, I have a very special guest with me, actually my first guest on this podcast, Dr. Philip McGee. He was a home health PT that's now transitioned into a non-clinical role as a utilization reviewer, and he's here to talk about that today. So can you go ahead and give us a background about yourself first? Yes. So like you said, I'm Philip McGee. I'm a physical therapist of 15 years. So prior to uh, doing utilization review, like you said, I did home health, but I started out in acute care. I graduated PT school with my master's in 2006. And then after I did acute care for about five years, I started doing a little bit of traveling. After I did some traveling, I decided I wanted to stay in California and wanted to leave acute care and started doing home health. So I did home health for about seven years total. And once all the stuff with PDGM and with COVID, I finally decided I wanted to try something different and was fortunate enough to get a job uh, reviewing uh, inpatient rehab authorizations. How does it feel going from being in the clinic to now working from home, essentially? Well, I love working from home because I'm someone who has a a wife and two kids. And when I was doing home health, a lot of times I was coming back home from work, but work still stayed with me because I was still documenting when I got home. So I've really loved being able to just have my set time from eight to five and that's it. I don't have to worry about anything clinically. I don't have to try to create a home exercise program or try to schedule visits. I just have my set time. So I've loved that aspect of switching from clinical to non-clinical. How long have you been non-clinical? It'll be one year in May. What has happened really since you went non-clinical as far as career growth trajectory? Well, so with my non-clinical job, what's nice about it is that I can, after a year, start to look at other positions. So one thing that I like to do is I really like teaching and there's an opportunity in the company I work for to do the orientation part exclusively where I'm teaching people. In my current job right now, I do precept people that are Uh, newly uh, onboarding. And so I'm able to spend two to three weeks with them, teaching them exactly how to do the role. And that's personally my favorite aspect of doing the job. So there's that part. And then there's other opportunities in management, if that's something that I want to pursue. If there was somebody, a clinician who's interested in going non-clinical, what would be their first step? I would say the first step, if you want to be non-clinical is 
to figure out if there's a certain area that you want to go into because non-clinical is pretty broad. It's kind of like saying you want to go into physical therapy, you know, physical therapy that could be pediatric, geriatric, ortho, neuro, women's health, all sorts of different areas. So finding out if you want to do something that's involved with sales, or if you want to do something that has nothing to do with sales, try to figure out what are the areas that you absolutely don't want to go into and the areas that you want to consider when it comes to those non-clinical options. Then once you know that, then you can try try to find out what companies start hiring for that. So once you figure that out, what would, actually backing up, what would be a good way to figure it out? People don't know, right? People yeah. don't know. How would you find out? Yeah. So what I would do is start looking on um, LinkedIn, that LinkedIn is a good opportunity to just start typing in physical therapy and start trying to see if there's certain roles that are of interest. There are different groups. I personally have a group called Non-Clinical Career Guide, and I've created a few different blogs on different career options. I work in utilization review, so that's my specialty, but there are aspects I've posted about um, different clinical liaison roles that is one role that's popular where you're trying to get people to go into the inpatient rehab that you work for. Then there's other jobs where it's more teaching based. So there's teaching other people how to use different types of equipment or teaching different people when it comes to working in a hospital, how to change the, um, the injury rates. And then there's other aspects where you're selling stuff. So there's different medical sales roles and trying to find out um, that way. Uh, you know, there's different resources like that that you can start searching for. But once someone figures out what type of job they want, obviously there's going to be some sort of resume they have to create that's ideal for the role and as well as an interview Mm-hmm. That's going to get them the job if they get an interview. I would assume you would say the resume is the most important part because that's going to get you the interview, right? Yeah, I, I think personally, from my own experience, I felt like I wasted uh, many hours just submitting applications because I saw that they came up. And so I thought, well, if I'm the first person to put in my resume and it's decent, then I'm going to have a better chance of getting the interview. But larger companies, they use what's known as applicant tracking systems, ATS. And so if you don't have enough keywords in your resume, then it's basically essentially thrown in the digital trash. And you need to make sure that you get a good resume, which is why I've created an ebook that's free that people can download at my website, nonclinicalcareerguide.com. And they can access the common errors that people make when it comes to Resumes. I also do resume reviews, but if you're submitting all these applications and you're not hearing any interviews, it's probably because your resume needs to be updated. And it's much different having a non-clinical resume compared to a clinical resume. Once you have your resume ready to go and you do get the interview, because you know, as you just went over, if your resume sucks, nobody's going to contact you, right? Yeah. Or it's going to get one of those things from Indeed that's like, you're not selected or LinkedIn, you're not selected. Yeah. So once they get their resume together and then they get the interview, what are things that they, that could help them succeed in the interview? 
So I would say the most important thing is to know that people like stories and you want to be able to have stories prepared ahead of time so that when they ask you behavioral questions or when they start to ask you any sort of question that's just about describing yourself, if all that you do is use a bunch of adjectives, that's pretty meaningless or maybe not meaningless, but it has very little power. If all that I say is that I'm someone, like I said, I'm someone who likes to teach. If all I do is say, I'm someone who likes to teach or I'm someone who loves to learn, but I don't have a story behind that, then the interviewer is not really going to have much to base it on. So you want to have stories prepared ahead of time. And I would add to that the stories need to try to be about a minute long. You don't need to keep talking on and on because after about a minute of talking, people really stop listening or have trouble keeping um, on the task of what you're talking about. You would say that when it comes to the interview, as long as you are telling a story and not just throwing random words out there, that's probably going to be better than just, is that kind of what you're getting to? Yeah, I would say that's the biggest piece of advice that I'd give because I think a lot of people just want to give generalities and they don't want to give specifics or they're just not prepared to give those specifics. So if you have those stories ahead of time and you've already prepared those, at least in your mind, if you haven't already said it out loud and practiced it, then if you, if you don't have those things, you're going to look ill-prepared. Is there any way you're able to share an interview question someone might experience with us? Um, so, like, or a hypothetical. A hypothetical. doesn't have to be yeah. direct. Yeah, yeah. So I would say one of the common questions and a question that I hated whenever I was interviewing is people would ask, tell me what is your greatest weakness? And that's a pretty common question. So when people ask, what is your greatest weakness? They're not asking you to say, like, what is your honestly true you know, worst part about yourself? What they're wanting to know is either one, can you try to um, Make, make the question into something that shows that you actually have a, a strength that some people might consider a weakness, or you actually take a real weakness, but you show how you've worked on that. And so if you can tell a story about how you have a true weakness, say it's where you're someone who's a people pleaser, you can take that weakness, but then turn it into where you learn from that, you learn that that's something that's a weakness of yours and tell a story about how you improved on that or overcame that. If you can basically figure out what you want to do, go ahead, get your resume the way it needs to be, and then be able to interview well, it should be very easy to get the job or is it still very competitive? Well, I would say it's still pretty competitive. So it's understandable to know that you're going to likely have to apply for oftentimes months at a time. I think that I know for myself, I thought, well, I'm a good fit. I'm someone that is maybe an ideal candidate. So I should just be able to apply like I've done for my career and just get a job. And it's not uh, too hard, but 
there's a lot of people out there, especially if it's in a, a remote job where you're competing against tons of people in the United States, not just one uh, geographic location, you're likely going to have to, to wait a few months. So I would just say, don't be discouraged knowing that you might have a great resume and you might be really prepared for your interview, but you still might have to wait a few months to actually get the job that you want. And I know you mentioned that you have your blog and your ebook, and you also have a YouTube channel as well, but yep. you've also actually helped people get these jobs. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So just recently there was, I went to CSM, uh, the combined section meeting for the APTA, and there was someone that was talking to me and I had mentioned that I work for the company that I'm with, Navi Health, and they had said that they had been applying for a long time, but they apparently thought that they weren't going to ever get in. And so I said, well, you know, send me your resume and I can review it. And so we did a paid resume review and uh, was able to point out the different flaws that were in the resume that were probably making her not ever get an interview. Then once that was corrected, all of a sudden, a few weeks later, I hear that she has a, an interview. And so we did a paid practice interview and she was able to get past the first round, second round. And then I got a text saying that she got the job. And that's an awesome feeling for me because you know, I'm not working on patients anymore. I don't get to see progress like that, but I do get to see it in physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, nurses, people that are wanting to take non-clinical roles. And I'm able to get them to get the job that they've been longing for. And so it's a, a really good feeling to, to be able to do that. So in all, I've helped about, uh, I'd say close to a dozen people in being able to get them the role that they were uh, trying to apply for for months. And they've tried other continuing education options and weren't successful, which is one of the reasons why I did create a continuing education course, non-clinical utilization review, that there's lots of people out there that are great candidates. They just don't know how to navigate the system. Super awesome that you're actually creating these resources because you've actually been there and done it, right? Whenever you want to take shortcuts and just get there faster and figure yourself out, you know, it's always good to follow someone's footsteps that's already been where you want to be. And I know you said you've helped around a dozen people which is like crazy because I know if we have this conversation a year from now, it's going to be a hundred to a thousand people. So it's cool that you're helping all these people and in turn, they're earning more money. And then if you earn more money from your courses and things like that, as a reflection of the value that you're providing. So yeah. It's super awesome. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's great to be a part of someone's story and going non-clinical. And so do you just want to go ahead and let people know where they can find your stuff? Yeah, so if you go to the website nonclinicalcareerguide.com, that has all the resources there, the paid interview uh, or practice paid practice interview, the paid uh, resume review. It also has the free ebook. And then it also has links to the YouTube channel that I have, the Facebook group. Um, everything's under nonclinical career guide non-clinical, all one word. Webster's dictionary says that it doesn't uh, have a hyphen. So non-clinical career guide. And then um, it, 
I also have the course that was just recently launched at the beginning of March. And there's a link there called non-clinical utilization review. Oh, one last question before we go. And it's awesome that you're providing these resources. And I know people are like, oh, it's paid. Yeah, it's paid because the value he provides. So, you know, don't lay one price haggle you. But my, la- my last question. So when it comes to PT, right? Unfortunately, the way you're paid, that's just the reality of PT. When it comes to non-clinical, do you feel that you're compensated more appropriately for the skill that or the value that you provide? So I think it's done differently. It's it's not where I'm you know, paid per unit or paid per visit. It's, it's just an hourly uh, rate. And so I think that since I'm starting something that's new and maybe unusual for, for therapists doing utilization review, reviewing charts, and being able to explain whether someone meets uh, Medicare criteria for that, I think that it's, it's, a, it's better than starting out as a, a new grad for sure, but it also is not where you're going to get the same pay as being in home health like I was or being a, a, the take-home pay for a traveler. It's not going to be the, the upper echelon, but I do think it's it's a fair wage. So I make in the, the mid 80,000s working 40 hours a week. That's not including overtime, not taking into account bonuses and stuff. I also uh, you know, have better uh, benefits than what I had from the other jobs that I had as a therapist. So uh, overall, I would say it's it's paid differently than really the options out there, outpatient, home health, any other role in in therapy. To clarify and correct me if I'm wrong, but you would say that even if you're paid less than say a home health PT, you still feel that your time's valued more, right? Because you're not overworking, doing notes on weekends, things like that. Would that be a good thing? Yeah. So yeah, that's a, a great clarification. So my role is I'm basically paid essentially by the minute, you know, it's where I, my time that I'm working, I'm paid for. There's not this um, hidden number of hours that I need to try to make up for because I did a task or a role. Uh, my, my documentation is integrated into my job. So uh, my time is paid only based on the time that I work. It's amazing what happens when people are Paid well and treated well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will say that of all the people that I've helped and all the people that I work with, uh, everyone has said that they have no regrets and I, I'm amongst them. I have no regrets in going non-clinical because I think some people have that fear of, you know, I've invested so much of my time, energy, money to go into this clinical job that I have and to go non-clinical it's kind of, it's something that is unknown, but everyone that I know is so happy that they've gone non-clinical. That's awesome. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put all of Phil's contact info in the show notes. You can click on them, go check out his, his course, his blog, his paid interviews. If you want to do that, all his info will be in the show notes. Thank you for so much for coming on. I try to keep these interviews, you know, under 30 minutes so nobody gets bored. So I think we're going to cut it around around 20. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, I just want to say thank you for uh, helping me and not only 
taking the, the information that I have as someone in utilization review and helping others, I think that you know, you've been really instrumental in teaching me to not just think inside the box of what it is to be a therapist and how to make money that uh, your podcast, your YouTube videos and the discord that you have is, has been extremely valuable to me. So I'm uh, honored to be your first guest on your podcast. Uh, full disclosure, Phil is one of my one-on-one coaching clients, but don't worry, he's not paid to say any of this. <laughs>